Welcome once again to the GreatAMovies.com podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write film reviews at LarryInFishers.com as part of my podcast series and my news blog. We have uh, two gentlemen who write for GreatAMovies.com. First, Adam Austin. Adam, welcome back. It's good to be back together again. Good to see you, Larry. And uh, we've got Alec Toombs, another writer for GreatAMovies.com. Alec, great to get together with you as well. Good to see you, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about, so I'm going to start off uh, with a movie that Adam has recently uh, screened and has some uh, views about. Uh, it's a thriller, at least that's how it's billed. The movie is called Old, O-L-D, so Adam, uh, ring in there. What uh, is old worth seeing or not? Uh, it's, it's mixed. I think it would probably be better streaming than to go to a theater for this one. Um, it's another M. Night Shyamalan movie. And uh, it's he's done some great movies, some all time great films like The Sixth Sense is a great movie. He's done some terrible movies uh, that are towards the bottom of the barrel for uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I think you could mention uh, Lady in the Water, um, perhaps that After Earth thing with Will Smith that lost hundreds of millions of dollars, that uh, the last Airbender one that he did. And recently, Glass, which I thought was pretty terrible, which was disappointing considering it was a follow-up to two pretty enjoyable films in Split and Unbreakable. Uh, his new film, Old, is a thriller. It kind of feels like the, something out of an episode of The Twilight Zone, where you have these couples on vacation, and they're on this secluded beach. And they find out that on this beach, um, they age faster. Basically, like a half hour's time is one year of their life. So their young kids grow old, right? Go grow up to uh, adulthood right between their eyes, and they start to get uh, gray hair and wrinkles, although it's not as no noticeable on the adults. Um, it uh, does it work? I don't know. It's okay. Um, I would think the one problem with the film is the characters seem to grasp what was happening to them very quickly. One guy was like, wait a second, I know exactly what's happening. We're aging. This is how fast we're aging. And here are the rules scenario. And I will explain them to everyone, the rules of everything that's happening. And I'm like, that's not how people would react. Um, but, it, you know, for a low budget thriller, uh, I think it was enjoyable. The one thing that M. Night Shyamalan has done is he he started to work with gigantic budgets like that Will Smith one with the sun where it was, he was set up for failure because it was costing hundred million dollars. After that, he started financing his movies himself. The visit was a, a very interesting thriller that he financed himself. And this falls into that same vein. If you like split, if you liked um, the visit, you know, this is middle of the pack for him. Um, I can't rave about it, but I think the biggest problem I have with it is just, I've just gotten tired of M. Night Shyamalan's stick. Like his whole, like you're waiting for some twist to happen. And, you know, his whole thing has just grown really tiresome. So I give it two out of five stars. All right. That's what I've been hearing from others as well. So you're in line with a lot of, um, a lot of the reviewers that I have seen. Uh, Alec, have you had a chance to screen this film? I have not. I will probably see it next week with my wife. I know she wants to see it. I think my wife's the same way. She, she likes that uh, kind of film. I want to get back to Adam for a moment, because if you recall, Adam reviewed Black Widow a while back on this podcast. 
and he didn't care much for it. He thought it was below the standards of the Marvel universe. He just didn't like the film in general. Uh, but you had a big disagreement. Uh, you're also a contributor to the Film Yap, and you did a podcast with Christopher Lloyd, who had a very di different view of that film. He liked it a lot more. But Adam, it appears the audience is with you because Black Widow has been a pretty big flop at the box office. Why do you think that's the case? I think there's a couple of reasons. The audience score is actually still pretty good. So those who have seen it have given it a much better score than I did. But I think there's some Marvel fatigue. Uh, you can have too much of a good thing. Uh, I think the same thing we saw with uh, one of the Star Wars movies, the solo film, when they started coming out every year, it wasn't as exciting. Marvel, not only are we getting movies two or three times a year, except for this when there was a delay with COVID, but now we've gotten TV shows coming out every week. We've had WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and now Loki. And I'll, I'll have to admit, a lot of those TV shows, they were better than this movie so you hear you see the reviews um i just think uh maybe they need to slow down and really think their strategy because uh just churning out origin stories like black widow ain't gonna cut it well alec do you think that perhaps marvel has oversaturated the product um, I'm not sure that's the issue per se. Uh, I know the first weekend that Black Widow was in release, it also made $60 million on Disney+. Plus. That might be drawing audiences away from theaters, perhaps. Um, the movie didn't do badly. I mean, it opened big first weekend, and the, the drop-off was similar to the drop-off of Fast yeah. 9. But, I, I mean, the second week it had to go up against the juggernaut that is Space Jam 2. So, I mean... <laughs> I, Which it, did better than people expected it to. Why wouldn't it? I mean, it's a... We got to get into we'll, this. We'll get to Space Jam 2 later, okay? <laughs> Let me stay with Alec for a moment because something has happened. You both are, uh, you and Adam are both contributors to thefilmyap.com. And the Film Yap's been around for many years. It is uh, populated by people who do film reviews. Uh, Christopher Lloyd started up Joe Shearer. I think Joe's uh, kind of pulled back. So Christopher Lloyd is the founder and still there. And it's been a free and open website ever since it started. Now there's a move toward a subscription model where most or all of the material is eventually going to be behind a paywall. It's not going to be a huge amount. I think it's like $5 a month, but you can get a deal if you're in early. It'll be less than that. So just, I'm just curious about your thoughts with the film you have going to this subscription model. You're asking me first? I'm asking you first. Okay. Um, yeah, as of right now, the special that's running, you can get it for $1.75 a month. Um, we're putting a lot of content out there. Me personally, I wrote five reviews last week. That takes time. If I can get some sort of compensation for it, that's not a bad thing. So uh, we're, it's an experiment. We're going to see how it works. Um, yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. Right okay, now. And, it, and, you know, I, I don't think anybody is going to get rich over this subscription model, but at least you could be paid something. That's what I'm hearing you say. Exactly. So, Adam, uh, your thoughts about fil the film Yap and uh, their experimentation with subscription model. So the idea is instead of having um, a bunch of casual fans who maybe read it every once in a while, and then as a result, you don't really get any advertising. Advertising doesn't really work unless you start getting gigantic numbers. Um, just 
things that are middle, which a lot of regional film websites are probably going to have, it, it's hard to build up enough eyeballs on the screen to uh, get advertising. But you could say, what if we had fewer people and they're willing to chip in small amount, like, you know, like you said, $2, $1.75 a month, a um, few hundred people. Uh, that seems to be a better model. And, you know, I think it's interesting, like, it's sometimes you can have fewer fans, but more passionate fans who are willing to put in some money. And I think you'll see that with a lot of things going forward. Right. So I, what I'm hearing from you gentlemen is you think it's worth a, a, a try. It's worth uh, an experiment at least to see if there are enough people who want film criticism, because if you take a look at the state of film criticism uh, in general, you know, there was a time, and I can remember, it wasn't that many years ago, when most newspapers of any size had at least one film critic, sometimes more, theater critics, music critics, all that. You rarely see that. Even a, a newspaper the size of the Indianapolis Star no longer has a film uh, critic and, and hasn't for a, a very long time. Uh, so I'm wondering if this subscription model will work and people will... Uh, will uh, uh, respond to it. So we'll be watching this with a great deal of interest. And let me bring you in because I have tried my best. You know, I, I've tried to contact the people with Imagine Theaters. That starts with an E, Imagine Theaters up in Michigan. It's the chain that bought the Hamilton uh, 16 multiplex at Hamilton Town Center. It was, it's a gorgeous complex. And of course, it was part of the Goodrich Theater bankruptcy. So it was closed for that reason. And of course, uh, COVID uh, meant it was shuttered for a very long time. And they haven't done much publicity, at least to my knowledge. Uh, they've recently reopened the theater. I didn't even know until I just checked online before we started this podcast that they had in fact opened the, the theaters at Hamilton Town Center. We're hoping maybe to get somebody on the podcast here and, and talk about uh, the theaters, what they might be doing differently uh, with the reopening, but so far uh, we've had no response. I don't know, Adam, I think it's good news that that big complex will at least be showing films again. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we should see more people go into the theater. I know that some places like Felix Brewhouse are still waiting because there's been some holdup with the federal money. Uh, so, and that makes a big difference between if you own the land, if you own the building and the land, maybe it's easier for you to reopen as opposed to if you were uh, leasing or renting space, maybe you've got some uh, things to negotiate with the landlord to reopen. I think that's the case with Flix is they didn't own the building. So there may be some issues there. Um, but, you know, yeah, theaters are reopening. Uh, we do have to keep an eye on this Delta variant um, that could you know, change things. Things are open, wide open right now, but we may see more things where masks are required or um, some offices go back to working from home. Uh, that could happen. So uh, good news so far, but, you know, I don't think we're hundred percent out of the woods just yet. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the, the word is now that uh, even with the Delta variant, 99.5% of the people being hospitalized with this are unvaccinated people. There are very few vaccinated people who have had symptoms. So yeah, so to the hospital. That's, that's the one thing too, is, you know, when we were starting to get vaccinated, they were like, hold on to your vaccination card because people are going to request that 
you know, people were getting it laminated because they thought that when you went to a, a Pacers game or a movie theater, they were going to ask for this. That has not been the case. I haven't once had anyone ask me about my vaccination status. I, I went to a bar in Chicago a while ago, and to get in there, you had to have proof of vaccination. You see, and that I think that's usually I think that's probably the exception, not the rule, right now. Sure. Um, and well, I think the, the future of that requirement, and some people object to it strenuously. Some people think it's needed. The future of that will uh, will say a lot about uh, how we function and whether the movie theaters will will request that nobody has uh, at least locally as far as i know but so adam what you're saying is that this will tell the future and i've got my vaccination card if anybody wants to see it i have no objection to it but there are people who got mine too and you know when we go to disney if they start saying hey we're going to shut things down i'm like no 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 let us vaccinated people at least do stuff here's my card and that's just me being self-interested there, Larry. I just, but you know, you know but, the, but your daughter cannot be vaccinated yet. So that's part of the issue, right? True. Although, yeah, it is a little different for someone that are really young. They say that the, the number, the, uh, the risk is a lot lower. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it is interesting. We'll see what happens with the movie theaters. Um, you know, people are out and they're going, they're filling up restaurants and they're filling up, um, you know, uh, a lot of other events are really packed, but uh, movie theaters haven't had the same bounce back that other things have. And I think that's just because people want to start watching things at home now. So Alec, uh, I think uh, one, now that we have almost all the movie theaters in the metro area, except a Netflix uh, brew house, of course, has an issue of being, uh, being a tenant, not a, a building owner, but it is good to see the movie theaters opening again. Undoubtedly. And I've been going this whole time. I'm still going. I usually go a couple times a week. And the Hamilton 16, that's not too far from where I live. I was a regular customer there, so it'll be good to go back. I'm going to spend a moment here uh, to talk about uh, the short film festival at Heartland. Uh, a few years ago, Heartland uh, carved out a different film festival for the short films and I think it's worked out very well because I'm a I'm a fan of really good short films and I was able to screen a number of them in fact over 130 I had a chance to say I didn't even see them all but I got as to as many as I could I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of some of them as, as we are posting this the uh, the festival is still going on so if you're listening and have enough time to see some of these you know, I would recommend them. Otherwise, there may be other ways you can find some of these short films. I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of some of my favorites that I saw. One was called Little Berlin. It was sort of a, a comedy. I watched that one. You watched it. So I'll say a word. You can say a word about it. I thought it was incredible. It was comedic in a lot of ways, but serious in other ways. It was really a story of, of Peter the Bull and his, uh, and his cows. And when Berlin was divided uh, after uh, World War II, Peter's on one side of the wall and his cows are on the other side. I think this whole, it was kind of tongue in cheek and it was metaphoric in the way that it showed in a, in a funny way, a serious issue about how the people in places like Berlin, families and friends were divided during the entire Cold War by the Berlin demarcation and later on uh, the Berlin Wall once that was built in the 1960s. I liked Little Berlin. What did you think, Adam? Uh, I thought it was great. You know, did you notice Christoph Waltz was doing the narration? I did. I did. That was that was good to see. Yeah. 
the shortest film, I think, or one of the shortest films in the festival is called Brief Survey. And I thought this was hilarious. This man walks, he's, he's going on a trail. He's at the top of a mountain and he looks out on the mountain. It's just a gorgeous setting. It says, thank you, God, for this wonderful view. And all of a sudden he's dialed into heaven, I guess. And he's asked to uh, do a, a short how do you call it? Uh, some kind of um, review. In other words, he was going to to answer some questions from God about this view. Uh, it was only five minutes long. It was hilarious and funny. I uh, even though it was one of the shortest films, I thought it had a lot to say about many different things. On the serious note, there was um, uh, there were some one, there's a lot of really good documentaries. One was called Eagles. This is a group of Hispanic men living in Southern Arizona. There are so many migrants who try to make that trek illegally across uh, the border and they get into the South Arizona desert in, in really tough conditions. And, and to be honest, most of them don't make it. And just for the sake of the families involved, these Hispanic men who work in construction sites and in restaurants during the week will take one weekend a month and search for the remains of these people just so their families can have some peace of mind. It's totally a volunteer thing, and, and it's just amazing what these men do just in an effort to help these families who are, who are living in this unknowing whether their relatives are, are dead or alive. Sadly, most of them, if they don't hear them, are passed away, but they at least get the evidence of that. There was another documentary called Of Memory and Debris. That's two elderly people in Caracas, Venezuela. This is at a time not that long ago. In fact, could be fairly current when 20% of the population of Caracas is leaving. The living conditions are very difficult. The economy has cratered. And it's just the story of these two elderly people trying to get by in Caracas, Venezuela, a very human story. This is not a documentary. This is a, a, a scripted one. It's called the Humanity Test. It's 2058. And in 2058, once you're age 21, Every 25 years, you have to pass a humanity test. Failure to pass the humanity test means you are eliminated, okay? And this, it's about this fellow going through his first humanity test. It was thought-provoking, to be sure. One of them was a, a local documentary called 38th and Postmodernism. It was jazz music from a local jazz group, and they interspersed stories about race relations in the Indianapolis area. That was a very effective way to tell that story. Another one is, uh, and this is scripted too, but it's called Rosie's Rescue. It's a woman. She uh, searches for the man that saved her life. Her parents died in a crash, and a man pulled her out of the car before it caught fire and saved her life. Well, she never saw the man again and try to pick up clues and find out who he is, where he is, and it's just a great story. I won't give away the, the ending in case you get a chance to see that. Another scripted uh, film was a short film was called Witness. Now, this was uh, directed by the famous Iranian director Ali Asghari, who, who was already won an Academy, Academy Award for the best foreign film. And it's about uh, a, a lady in Iran, in Tehran, who tries to help a woman who's in some trouble, helps her out, but in a very public place, but it, and she leaves the woman. And then there was a very tragic story that happens after that. Just great storytelling by a great director and Ali Asghari. So I had, there are a lot of good ones there. I also, actually, all of the films 
in this film festival, I thought were very good. I'm just picking out a few that I, I liked in particular. So I, uh, kudos once again to the Heartland Film Festival. They always do a great job and they've done an outstanding job in curating and uh, finding the best short films for this festival. Again, we're uh, recording and posting this on July 22nd. The festival is actually going on as we speak. If you have time, you know, try to catch some of it. It's very well worth your while. How many of the shorts were you able to watch, Larry? I've watched over 130. Whoa. And uh, did you watch any of the horror selections? I watched several of them. Um, were there I, any standouts of, of that programming for you? Yes. And I'm trying to find the one that uh, really caught my... Um, oh, yes. This is uh, it was called The Following Year. This is in the future. A man's wife dies. He clones her. And they deliver the cloned version of his wife so this woman you know all of a sudden wakes up she's the, you know this person who's been cloned from his wife and you're thinking wow he's just wants to go back to life as he as he had it and he's just a farmer out there trying to make ends meet but the story gets very strange after that <laughs> very it's it is a horror film it, okay it, that sounds it goes, interesting goes into a much different direction than you think there are a lot of other good ones i just uh, there were but that that's just one that uh, comes to mind right away Okay, I'm going to uh, talk to Alec here. You have several films that uh, you have had a chance to review for Grade A Movies and for the Film Yap. So uh, go through some of them and, and what you think of them. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Since we've gone to a pay model, I haven't been posting at Grade A Movies. I'm not giving away for free what we're trying to get people to pay for. Um, so just been publishing at Film Yap for, for the time being. Uh, my latest review is a movie called Midnight in the Switchgrass. It's the uh, directorial debut of Randall Emmett. Randall Emmett is a film producer who's produced probably somewhere between 75 and 100 movies. Uh, a lot of his catalog is kind of junky. He uh, produces most of Bruce Willis's direct-to-video movies and kept Steven Seagal in business after his theatrical viability kind of died off. But he's also produced some really good movies. He produced Martin Scorsese's Silence, and uh, The Irishman as well. Um, as I said, this is a directorial debut. He has a, a, an interesting cast in the movie. Um, it's been sold as a Bruce Willis vehicle, which it absolutely is not. Bruce Willis is in the movie for maybe five minutes. Uh, your leads are Emil Hirsch, who you might remember from uh, Into the Wild, and he, he played Speed Racer in the live-action Speed Racer movie, and Megan Fox, who a lot of folks remember from the Transformers movies. Uh, the two of them are law enforcement officers who uh, team up to try to take out a uh, serial killer played by uh, former child star uh, Lucas Haas, who you may remember from the movie Witness. Uh, the movie has its issues. Um, some of the editing is pretty clumsy. It's bookended by uh, Dire Straits' song Brothers in Arms, which I think is a great song, but it has nothing to do with what's happening on screen. Um, but I thought the actors were quite good. Megan Fox was surprisingly good. Uh, Emile Hirsch was quite good. I thought Lucas Haas as a killer was quite good. And uh, in a small role playing a pimp was the, uh, the rapper Machine Gun Kelly, who uh, Fox dates in real life. I thought he was very good in his few scenes in the film. So uh, I gave that one three out of five stars. Uh, how many more do we have here? However many you want to talk about. I, I reviewed... let's, let's just do a couple more that you may think are of some importance. I'm trying to remember. When I write this much, it's like I have to... It's hard keeping it all straight here. 
Uh, kind of scrolling through my feed here to see what. Well, while you're doing that, um, Adam, have you seen the screen the film Pig? I have not. Uh, Alex said it's one of his favorites, and it seemed interesting to me. Well, it's 100 my favorite movie of 2021. So well, t- tell us what it's about and why you think it's so good. It's uh, in it. Uh, Nicholas Cage plays an acclaimed chef whose wife passes away. Uh, he was living in the city of Portland, Oregon at the time. After her death, he uh, takes off to the wilderness of Oregon and uh, lives a life of solitude. He has a truffle pig that he uh, he sells truffles to uh, restaurateurs and kind of just lives his life of solitude. Um, some junkies come by his place and abduct his pig, and he's on a mission to get the pig back. Okay, and you really like this film. I, I love it. Uh, yeah. It was sold in trailers as like Babe meets John Wick. It's it's not that at all. It's uh, very much a movie about grief and loss. Uh, Cage takes a break from being a living, walking meme for a change and, and is acting again. Uh, he's brilliant in the movie. Like I, I think this is Oscar caliber work for me. Well, I think Nick, Nicholas Cage can take a character, and he hasn't been successful in every case. He can take a character and make it a character and make it into something uh, special and, and above what even the director expected. So, Pig is a, is what uh, uh, Alec considers the best movie he's seen this year, and we're about halfway through the year. Nicholas Cage can be a good actor. Just done some. He's won an Oscar. He's done some great things. Uh, I don't know if it was his massive amount of debt that chooses and makes him pick terrible movies. T-Rex skulls it... don't buy themselves, Adam. I know. But I also think maybe he's just a little crazy. I was hearing that um, uh, Rogan was saying that they wanted Nicolas Cage to be the villain in the Green Hornet movie, which was a bad movie, but that Nicolas Cage wanted to play a white Rastafarian that was not in the script. And there's just these choices that Nicolas Cage makes that uh, are borderline brilliant, but also some WTF moments. Well, you know, he was supposed to play Superman in that one film that that fell apart and never did get made, uh, which I always thought was 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 fat. Wondered how that would have worked out, but I do believe he's had so many different uh, roles. I do think leaving Las Vegas might have been his 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 best performance. What do you think, Alec? It's certainly up there, and I would say Pig is up there with his work in Leaving Las Vegas. He really is excellent in the movie. I would highly recommend you both check it out. Anybody who's listening, if you like Cage and you're okay with a movie being sad, this one's really, really good. I'm a big fan of adaptation. Well, you know, he had a small part in Snowden, which about Edward Snowden, which I thought he played a a great uh, performance there, but he had a very small role. Sometimes he can take a small role and make it shine. So that's what great actors do. And he didn't seem to mind playing a, a small part there. I want to ask both of you gentlemen about a film Space Jam. We all remember the Space Jam with Michael Jordan. Well, Space Jam is back as Space Jam 2, and instead of Michael Jordan, it's LeBron James. So, Adam, did LeBron pull it off? Now, I have not seen this film. Oh, I've not seen it. No, no, no. I'm still going to talk about it, Larry. I'm not going to let my lack of firsthand knowledge prevent me from having an opinion on this subject. So, uh, I've read enough scathing reviews of Space Jam 2. Uh, I think the New York Post said it was an abomination. Um, Alec himself said it was a 
a 90 minute ad for the HBO Max library. Not a 90 minute ad, a two hour ad. The movie is two hours long. And apparently, you know, instead of just having Bugs Bunny and the Looney Tunes, they go into all the Warner Brothers movies. Apparently they even have a appearance by the characters from Clockwork Orange, Larry. Uh, the The Droogs are there. Which is great because most kids are really big Clockwork Orange fans. And they could put the guys from Clockwork Orange in the movie, yet Pepe Le Pew had to be kicked out of the film because he was too rapey. I don't know. That seems like a double standard to me. Um, So Clockwork Orange was less objectionable than Pepe Le Pew? Yes. That's some kind of judgment there. So Um, I'm sorry. Again, finish up made money and then i also read this stupid article which me reading stuff from the original director of jam saying that not the sequel but the first one saying they should have never remade it you know this was a masterpiece that does not there's no mother michael jordan lebron is not michael then he was like trying to brag and goes and i am the one who suggested that he bring uh, Dennis Rodman on for the next uh, few years for the Bulls. I said, why don't you sign Rodman? And then he signed Rodman. And then, you know, it, so I enjoy the old Space Jam for nostalgia fact. Let's be, it wasn't a great movie. And then you remake a bad movie and turn it into an even worse movie. I don't know. What'd you well, think, Alan? The original Space Jam was a moneymaker, that's for sure. So studios like money, obviously, and they thought they had a great soundtrack. I believe I can fly some Quad City DJs on there. It had some good songs. So, um, Alec, I think you have seen this film. So I, uh, I did see us, the movie. So give uh, us took, your uh, give us your view on it. I took my uh, my little brother. I'm a big brother in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. I took him and uh, a, a buddy of his to go see it. They requested to see it. I wouldn't have seen it on my own. Uh, and I'd actually never seen the original Space Jam prior to that day. I, I watched it in the morning before gr- picking them up. So I wouldn't miss any important plot points in Space Jam, A New Legacy. Um, the movie was fine. The old movie is fine. They're both two and a half star movies. And I'm probably being too kind. Uh, th- it wasn't a remake. It's a sequel. It's its own thing. Um, I mean, they bring in the Looney Tunes and stuff, but it, it they go about it in a different way. It's a different movie. It is a two-hour-long commercial for Warner Brothers, but uh, there are elements of the movie I enjoyed. So I, I, I still got teary-eyed. I did. Father-son stuff is my like emotional Achilles heel, and there's a lot of it in there. Um, yeah, the movie was was ridiculous, but. The boys liked it. Uh, one of the two gave it five out of five stars. Uh, the other was a three and a half out of five, and I'm a two and a half out of five. So, I'll say okay. second about the original Space Jam. So, Larry, have you seen Space Jam, the original? It's been a long time. Yeah. So, remember when they like the aliens are abducting the best NBA players, and they don't get Michael Jordan because he's playing baseball. They but they abduct Charles Barkley. Muggsy Bogues, who's who is he okay? Patrick Ewing, uh, and then Sean Bradley. Why did they abduct Sean Bradley? Mr. I think he was the reason they invented the term posterized when people would dunk on Sean Bradley constantly. I know he was seven foot one or something, but yeah, 
maybe they couldn't get someone else good to be in the movie, but when they were like, we've recruited the best NBA players and Sean Bradley. <laughs> Posterization was a big thing in the new Space Jam. It's actually like an integral plot point of the movie. Okay. So what is can I make a, an NBA comment? Aside from I'm, oh, I'm going to make an NBA comment aside from the, these films. I enjoyed watching the NBA finals this year because I knew going in that the Phoenix Suns were a star centered team and star centered teams tend to win the championship. Milwaukee was more of a team in the old sense. And they had a, a mix of players built to win a championship and not like, uh, patterned around one star so you'll have to excuse me as, as maybe an old-time nba fan who has been around for a while i really like the fact that the milwaukee bucks won the championship this year and the last time that uh the bucks won a championship they had a center who still called himself lou alcinder at the time before he changed his name and a man the people in indianapolis uh, should remember a man named oscar robertson also he was toward the end of his career but he still had it so uh, I'm sorry, my little uh, two cents worth on, on the film, uh, away from film and toward uh, basketball. I know you're a fan of Chris Paul. Were you rooting uh, for Phoenix, uh, Adam? Yeah, just because I want to see Chris Paul win one. But I like Giannis. Is, uh, he's very likable. You know, he's only 26. He's mm-hmm. got a title. He's got two MVP awards, a Defensive Player of the Year award. He could retire tomorrow and be in the Hall of Fame at age 26. But I, he wants to win a championship, and who can blame him? And they came pretty close this year. So he, may, you think? I think he'll be back. There was a rumor he Chris might Paul, retire. Yeah, Chris Paul will. He'll be back, but there's only you only get so many opportunities. This was one of his best opportunities. Now back to the original Space Jam. Uh, you know, did the new one have Bill Murray in it? Because that was my favorite part. It was how Bill Murray was playing basketball with Jordan and the aliens in the original. There is no Bill Murray in the new movie. Ah. There are some surprise cameos I don't want to give away. Uh, there are some comedians who are pretty funny in it. Laurel Howery's in it, who I enjoy. Um, I think you should actually sit down and watch it. You can watch it at home. Watch it with Madeline. Well, my dad canceled his direct TV, so I don't have the HBO password anymore. So I have to start paying for it now. Oh, uh-oh. Maybe I, I can help you out. What was that film you were willing to see for 30 bucks that you didn't like? So who knows? Don? Black Widow. I Black didn't Widow, spend, I did not spend the Which $30. is a much better movie than he gave it credit for, in my opinion. Oh, okay. So I, I side with Chris Lloyd on this you're one. with Chris on that one. Okay. Well, we're about out of time, gentlemen. Um, last comments. Um, Alec, anything you want to pass along before we wrap this up? Yeah, I started remembering some of the movies I reviewed. Uh, Fear Street 1666 I published last week. It's on Netflix. It's the third part of the Fear Street Horror Trilogy directed by Lee Janiak. I thought these movies were a lot of fun. I highly recommend them. If you haven't watched them, check them out. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was another movie I reviewed last week, Gunpowder Milkshake. It's a good action movie. Uh, Very much style over substance. Very violent, but with an excellent cast. Karen Gillan's in it. Lena Headey. Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, Carla Gugino, and Paul Giamatti. It's a fun flick. It's pretty much Jane Wick. Um, Trying to think. I have other reviews coming up later this week. I'll be seeing uh, Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins this evening. I'll have a review of that for for tomorrow. I am also going to be watching and reviewing a movie called Jolt, which will be on Amazon Prime starring Kate Beckinsale. So be on the lookout for these reviews. 
Uh, Adam, I just uh, heard that Alec has decided to hold off his reviews on gradeamovies.com. He's putting them on the film yap where the paywall is being installed. Are you still uh, on gradeamovies.com or are you uh, still just contributing to the film yap? Well, I haven't seen as much as Alec lately anyways, so... Uh, this is probably a conversation he and I should have had off air. I just, I haven't been <laughs> oh, posting okay. it. Um, you know, I think the, the grade A movies, you know, we'll still kind of keep the, the Facebook page and we'll still post some stuff here and there, but I think it opened up some opportunities to do things with the film app. And so uh, I think it's all good stuff. Okay. We'll still, uh, we'll continue to uh, uh, use the word gradeamovies.com for this podcast, even though the film app is also what you folks are doing. Any other comment uh, from Adam? Um, I sh next week, I'm going to see The Jungle Cruise, uh, Disney's new movie based on their theme park ride uh, with uh, The Rock, Emily Blunt, and Paul Giamatti. So it's got an interesting cast. Uh, there's apparently a lot of parallels to African Queen, the great Humphrey Bogart, Catherine Hepburn film. Uh, so if you haven't seen that original African Queen, maybe watch that before you see Jungle Cruise, which I think comes out July 30th. I'll be seeing it, I think, Monday, and then I'll get a review for uh, Fill Me App, and we'll, maybe we'll have another episode where I can talk about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about the, uh, the African Queen. That's a great film. Absolutely tremendous film. And I have uh, lately been going back and watching old films I haven't seen for a while. I'm in the middle of watching Exodus, which is over three and a half hours long. So I'm more than an hour into it, but I haven't been able to finish yet. A film I hadn't seen for a very long time. Uh, one of Paul Newman's uh, greatest roles, at least up to now, and I'm sure it'll come out that way. So I'm still enjoying watching. So I know African Queen is one that's on my list to watch again, which I have certainly watched long ago and, and, uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing it again. Uh, it's good to see the great old films of the past and remind yourself that uh, that uh, film has quite a, a history. You know, Exodus was written, the screenplay by Dalton Trumbo, who was out of work for many years during the McCarthy period. And uh, that was one of the films that got him back with his own name once again uh, on, on films as the screenwriter. He had actually written some screen screenwriting tasks uh, under an assumed name won an Oscar under another name and they had to get up at the Oscar ceremony and say, so-and-so is not here today. We're sorry. He's not. Well, everybody in Hollywood knew <laughs> that it wasn't really that person. It was actually Dalton Trumbo. He, he couldn't put his name on it due to the, the blacklisting. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, we hope to be back in a week or two with another greatamovies.com podcast. We appreciate uh, you watching uh, us on YouTube and listening uh, via podcast. If you like the audio better we want to uh, just appreciate uh, your enjoyment of movies and our discussion of it and we will be back again in the meantime we would ask you all to please be safe and be kind <laughs>